thought I would share a couple more of those with you this week. Um, this is uh, an image that Marcy sent me, uh, Marcy Hay, and I appreciate this so much. But she wrote this uh, of the series we're in and, and of what happened. She said, what, what am I thankful for? Family that comes out on Monday baptisms in the middle of the afternoon, little girls, who take their Christianity and their walk seriously, even if it means waiting, and a church family that welcomes old friends home. I like that. Somebody else remembered this quote, Saturday is the day after and the day before when God is silent, but the king has one more move. Uh, and I want to thank you again for those of you who responded to me. And, and it gets me thinking again about where we're going to go as a church family in uh, the next series that we're in. And uh, before we begin the message uh, again today that I'm finishing from last week, I want to ask if you would bow with me one more time and uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you as the one who looks upon our hearts and you know who we are and where we are. And Father, even the righteous things we do, um, they're like filthy rags. So we don't put our hope there, but rather we put our hope and our life in, in your righteousness. We thank you for the life that you give us and uh, we thank you for your word. And so again, Father, I just ask that you would do what, what no human being could ever do. That you would speak your word to our heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began this sermon uh, that I entitled, When Your Only Option is Prayer, talking about a time when you feel trapped. A time when you feel like you're in a difficult circumstance and, and maybe there's no way out. And times like that we, we define as times that we're just in over our head. Uh, and just this past week, I've, I've met some in this church that were in over their heads ed- educationally in class and, and test-taking. Uh, for others, it's relational. For some, it's medical and, and even spiritual. And we ask the question, what do you do in those moments when you feel like, you're just inundated. Well, the Bible says again in Romans 12, 12, and, and this is from the Phillips paraphrase, when trials come, endure them patiently. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. When trials come, when struggles come, and they come to everybody's life, endure them patiently and do what Jesus did. And we talked about last week that first point on your outline, how he maintained the habit of authentic prayer. And as you read through the Gospels, one of the things you will note is just the intimacy that Jesus has with the Heavenly Father. And the disciples saw that. They watched Jesus as he would go off early in the morning or up on a mountainside by himself to pray. They watched him as he would set down the beach into the boat to go to the other side of the lake and pray. Or the times that he would fast and pray. They would watch him withdraw from time with them. Or time with the crowds to pray. And, and one time they were so enamored with, with his prayer that they came to him in Luke 11, verse 1. And it says, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place and had finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just, just as John taught his disciples. And, and he taught them that model prayer that we looked at briefly last week. The, the Lord's Prayer that so many of you grew up uh, repeating in church. And after giving that prayer to them, Jesus went on in Luke 11 to teach about prayer. 
And he shared with them the story that we began last week in Luke eleven five about a friend who had a friend who had a friend. About three friends. And the story began with friend number one having that unexpected guest, that, that out-of-towner who showed up late one night knocking at his door. And there were no 24-hour restaurants in Jesus' day, and, and the man was hungry. And so friend number one sneaks out the back door, goes to the home of friend number three, and starts knocking on his door. And friend number three wakes up and wipes the sleep out of his eyes. He, he goes to his window, he looks out, and he sees friend number one there, and he wonders, what does he want? I mean, what's he doing here at this time of night? I was asleep, my family's asleep, and so he asks him, what do you want? Uh, and his friend says, I'm sorry to bother you, but in Luke eleven five, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine has come on a journey to me, and I've not got, I've no food to offer him. And he doesn't want to be awakened to meet a need like this. And so he says to his neighbor in verse 7, look, don't, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are I in bed. I, I can't get up and give you anything. And we talked about how frustrating that must have been for friend number one, who, who's desperate right now. He's got a need, and I think any of us who've ever been frustrated by making a request, any of us who've ever been frustrated by prayer in life can identify with him. And I think at one time or another, we can all say that sometimes we are disappointed prayers. We've all made requests of of our Heavenly Father, and we felt like God didn't respond. If we're honest, sometimes we we offer God those prayers in our desperate moments. And and we wonder, God, are you even listening? Because the heat's on, the pressure's on, and I don't feel relief. And maybe you prayed to God for yourself. Or maybe you prayed to God for a loved one, and they died. Maybe you prayed for a relationship to get better, and it's not. Maybe you prayed for a health situation, and rather than getting better, it's kind of slipped and taken a few steps back. My guess is everyone in this room at one time or another, you and I have been disappointed prayers. And we ended last week by talking about one of the reasons we become disappointed prayers is because we ask for the wrong things. We just do. We don't always know what's best for us. And at the end of the story, Jesus asked the question in Luke 11, 11 and 12, which of you fathers... If a son asks him for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll turn around and give him a scorpion. No loving parent is going to give their child something that they know is going to bite them. No loving parent is going to give their child something they know is not good for them and is going to hurt them. Even if they ask for something that's bad for them, and we know it's not what they need. And sometimes we just ask God for the wrong things. And that's kind of where we left it last week. But I want to move on and say that sometimes we're disappointed prayers because we ask with the wrong motives. The wrong motives. One time, a mother of two of Jesus' disciples came to him. And and she said, Jesus, I have just a little request of you. It's it's really no big deal uh, to her as she asked it. But she does anyway, and it comes in Matthew verse tw- chapter 20, verse 21, and Jesus says this, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. 
Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, do you think that would be possible? Just let my boys have these places of honor. Again, no big deal. But if they could just be number two and number three in heaven, that would be good. Please and thank you. And Jesus says to her, you do not know what you're asking. He says, my way is the way of the cross. My way is a way of servanthood. My way is of of suffering. And do you want me to elevate your boys to number two? You're worried about honor and places of honor? Wrong. Wrong motive. Jesus asked, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We can, both of the boys chime in. And James, the brother of Jesus, would go on to say this in James 4.3, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, anybody here ever pray like that? Anybody here ever pray to win the lottery? I mean, it would be a miracle if I won because I don't believe in the lottery and I don't play it. So it really would be a miracle. But the Powerball is up to a paltry $130 million. Okay? And Mega Millions is up to $493 million. Now, again, I don't play, but somewhere somebody is praying. Lord, if you let me win. I will give you 10%. I'll give you a tithe. Let's see, that, that's $493 million. That means, God, you get $49.3 million. God, you don't need that much. How about $4 million, God? Can we just do it for, for $4 million? One of my favorite stories about prayer is this elderly missionary who was discussing prayer at, at a women's conference to a small group of ladies gathered around her. And she explained that back when she first went onto the mission field, more than 50 years earlier, She was extremely lonely, and she saw these other missionary families, uh, uh, people married and had families, and she bemoaned the fact that she was all alone. And in her loneliness, she begged God to pick out a husband for her. And she told how she prayed and prayed and prayed, and she was sure that God would answer her prayer. And one of the women in this group that was listening said to her, "But, but you've never been married. You're still single. And the elderly missionary said, you're right. But somewhere out there, there's a 74-year-old man that's been resisting God for more than 50 years. Now that story, uh, it drives home a point. We can't expect God to manipulate people. And in this world, don't we learn how to, to do that? Sometimes in the most subtle ways, for the most personal of reasons. But when we pray for God to manipulate someone, we're praying with the wrong motive for our pride, for our ego, for our pleasure. And then thirdly, sometimes we just ask with the wrong timing. We might ask for the right thing, but we're asking in the wrong time. God, I want a mate, and I want a mate now. And if you could just have them in my life by September, that would be great, because I would love to have a New Year's wedding if you could arrange it. But God's timing is different than ours. And God might be preparing you. He might be maturing you for the right time. Or maybe he's got some work to do in someone else's life that's going to enter into your life, and he's working on them. And some of you, you give up on prayer altogether because you've asked God for something, and you didn't get the answer you wanted. And now you've gotten to the point where you think, well, there's no point in asking again because God's going to do what God wants to do anyway. He's already made up his mind, so why do I need to keep praying for this? And that's like 
saying, you know, dad told me that I couldn't drive the car uh, ever again. And maybe dad told you that when you were 14, but you're 40 years old now and you should ask again because he might have changed his mind. There's a second group of prayers among us and I would just say that this is the third point on your outline. And that, that is those who are developing prayers. And we thrive. We really do when we're developing prayers. You know what a developing prayer is? It's typically a disappointed prayer. A disappointed one who didn't give up on God. And they didn't give up on prayer because they didn't get the answer they wanted. And they didn't give up even though they may have asked for the wrong things or with the wrong motives at the wrong time. That's what friend number one in our story is like. Even though he's disappointed that this friend number three, this neighbor, doesn't fly out of bed and give him the bread that he wants at first, he doesn't give up. And in Luke's gospel, in Luke eleven eight, in this parable, this guy just keeps on knocking, and he keeps knocking, and he won't take no for an answer. And I love the phrase that Jesus responds with. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity to keep knocking in the middle of the night. Now, I think there's several things that Jesus is trying to teach us about a developing prayer. When friend number one has a problem, who did he turn to? Who did he ask for help? He goes next door to a neighbor who's apparently his friend. And I want you to think about that. He went to someone that he had developed, that he already had an existing relationship with. And there's other neighbors' houses that I'm sure might have even been closer, but he's not going there. And you've got neighbors, too. You would never think of knocking on their door in the middle of the night. You know, but this guy, he had a relationship with his neighbor. And evidently they were friends. Close enough that that relationship could withstand a late-night door-pounding session. And you could tell how close a relationship is by how people talk with each other. Did I share this with you last week? Jeanette, did I share this with you guys? Um, my wife, Cheryl, uh, is, is really my best friend, and we're close. We've been together for 29 years now. When I talk to Cheryl, I don't speak to her with a voice like, Oh, thou great mother of my children. I needeth some clean socks, and if thou would be so gracious as to honor my request today, no. We have an existing relationship that's based on love, and I could just simply say, honey, I need some clean socks. And she will lovingly say to me, honey, are your arms broken? Let me show you where the washer is. That's how you have a relationship, right? When you're close, that's how you talk with each other. And I think Jesus is trying to communicate a principle here that simply says, developing prayers, they possess a personal relationship with God. It's close. I was talking to the young people this morning in Sunday school, how great it is that, that we, we could be called friends of God. And that's what I'm talking about. You have a relationship. And, and really the reason some of you are so frustrated in your prayer life, and I've shared this with you before, honestly, is it's just because you don't have a personal relationship with God. The one that you're praying to, you just, you just don't. Hebrews 10, 19 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Where is the most holy place? 
It's anywhere that God is, the place where God resides. And how can we enter that? It's only because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he did at the cross. He opens the door to that place of intimacy with the creator of the universe, with our creator. And you don't have to go through a priest to talk to God. You don't have to go through any intermediary to talk with God. You don't have to go through a saint. You don't have to go through Mary to talk to God. You can go into the most holy place directly through the blood of Jesus. If you've received him into your life and you have a relationship with him, accepting the substitutionary relationship, payment for your sins, accepting the blood of Jesus, that what he did on Calvary, he did for you. It's the beginning of that relationship, and, and, and you just get personal with God. We have a guaranteed front stage pass to, the, to heaven's most holy place, but only after we've allowed God to adopt us into his family. And friends, until you deal directly with those facts in your life, your prayer life is never going to be what it could be. And you're going to be frustrated because you don't have that friendship with God. And that's the greatest thing I think that that everyone can establish today and any time we come together as believers. And some of us, we need to be like the tax collector that Jesus spoke of in Luke 18, 13. Where it says the tax collector, he simply stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know I need Jesus Christ. I know I need his mercy. I know I need his grace. I need the blood of Jesus to do for me what I could never do for myself. Personal relationship with God. Now, here's the second principle of a developing prayer. They maintain a healthy sense of inadequacy. They maintain a healthy sense of inadequacy. Think about it. This man, this guy, has to go to his buddy next door, and a lot of guys don't like to do this. Men don't like to admit to other men, I've got a need. I am incapable of meeting a need on my own. That's why guys never ask for directions when they should. Effective praying always starts with a humble admission. God, I'm against the wall. God, my hands are empty. I have come to a situation that I I can't deal with, and I need you. And I think rather than being our our last option, we need to run to prayer. Prayer needs to be our, our first choice. Rather than facing a frustration or a hurt or a heartache or an unfair situation alone, it should be our our go-to. Now here's the bonus scripture that's not in your outline. Psalm 62, verse 8. It's a command. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Just pour your heart out to him. Now here's the third principle to being a developing prayer. They pray with intense passion. They pray with intense passion. They run to God in prayer, but they don't give up because they don't receive what they ask for the first time. See, Jesus tells in this text after this story, he says this, I tell you, though he he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, 
because of your shameless audacity, he surely will get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So here's this friend at, at his, his buddy's house knocking in the middle of the night. Anybody home? Anybody awake yet? I can't help you. We're all in bed, all asleep. And he keeps knocking. Hey, come on. Have you got any bread to share with your friend out here? Anybody in there not want the police to show up because the neighborhood's getting a little noisy tonight? Anybody there who doesn't want their neighbors to hear me out here that just wants to open the door and give me some bread? I'm just going to keep knocking. And finally the guy says, okay. All right, enough already. I'll get you some bread. Thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. You know, you've got to be passionate. You've got to keep knocking. Now, now you might be saying, Bill, are you trying to tell me that that's what Jesus is communicating in the story? That, that the word is supposed to be like this guy and we're supposed to badger and pester God? That we have to do like this guy did to his neighbor to get God to respond? Absolutely not. You see, he's not comparing God to this neighbor. He's contrasting God to this neighbor. He's saying, if this imperfect, stubborn friend will get up in the middle of the night after so much knocking to respond to your need, how much more do you think a loving, gracious God who gave his son on the cross for you, how much more will he willingly respond to your needs, with what you truly need. You see, nobody knows what's best for you like God. And in Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, you know, if you then who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, friends, I want to suggest you underline those words. Give the Holy Spirit. You see, the one thing that you'll always get when you pray, uh, whether you get what you prayed for or not, you're always going to receive the gift of God and the Holy Spirit. And he'll walk with you through whatever it is you're going through. And friends, if your conscience isn't right with God, you won't feel that. If there's business you need to do with God asking for forgiveness, he will cleanse your conscience. He will give you the freedom to recognize the work of his Holy Spirit in your life. But some of you will feel, but I wanted this. Bill, Bill, I prayed for this person to change. I wanted this house. I wanted this job. I wanted this healing, not for me, but for somebody that I love. I wanted a miracle. And I get God, the Holy Spirit, Now, I want you to think about that. What more do you want walking with you in this life through every circumstance than God? The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere, almighty God of the universe with you in your circumstances. Now, something interesting, I think, happens over time when we recognize that. These once disappointed prayers, they become developing prayers, and eventually they end up becoming what's the fourth part of your outline there. They end up becoming devoted prayers. You see, that's our goal. The goal is to be devoted prayers. These are people 
that have established a point in their life, they've reached a point in their prayer life where they know that, they, that God works through prayer in primarily one of two ways. Oftentimes, because of the power of prayer, God changes circumstances through prayer. And other times when he chooses not to change the circumstances, and I think most often, he will change you through prayer. He'll change you. And he walks with you through the valley of the circumstances that you're in. He'll change your circumstances, or he'll change you. Sometimes, he changes both. One of my favorite circumstances in the Bible comes in the Old Testament in the life of a king by the name of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is one of those good kings of the Bible. Um, He's got a good friend by the name of Isaiah, the prophet, who comes to him at one point in his life and he says to him, Hezekiah, I've got some bad news. Hezekiah, you're, you're about to die. And immediately, Hezekiah, he's a devoted prayer, and he goes to God with intensity and with tears in his prayer. And God gives him a sign, a shadow descending a staircase. And it says in Second Chronicles thirty two twenty four. in those days, Hezekiah, he'd become ill and was at the point of death. But he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. And this shadow goes down the staircase with the sun. And it's a sign that God's giving Hezekiah 15 more years of life on this planet. But Hezekiah was changed too. God changed the circumstance. He changed the man. Our prayers can make a difference. I want to close by by sharing a story with you uh, from one of my favorite speakers uh, named Tony Campolo. Uh, Tony is still a well-sought-after speaker and author. He's a retired professor from a college up in Pennsylvania. And I believe that he's a dynamic believer in Christ. And he writes in one of his books that down from Eastern College where he taught, there was a Pentecostal college. And he says, I'm not Pentecostal, but from time to time, they will call and they will ask me to come and speak in their chapel. He says, again, I'm not Pentecostal, but I speak so fast, they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out in the end. But he said, they invited me to their chapel, and he said, before the chapel service, Several of the faculty members took me aside in this little side room to pray. And they had me get down on my knees to pray. And six of them, they put their hand on me, on my head and on my shoulders to pray for me. And they asked the Holy Spirit to fill me up and use me effectively as I spoke to the students. But he said, Pentecostals, understand, they pray longer and with more dynamism than than we do as Baptists. And that's the, the, the denomination he belonged to. But he said these Pentecostal people, they prayed long, and the longer they prayed, the more they leaned on his head and on his shoulders, and they leaned, and they prayed harder and harder, and one of them just kept whispering, do you feel the Holy Spirit? Do you feel the Holy Spirit? And he said, to tell you the truth, I'm feeling something at the base of my spine, but it's not the Holy Spirit. You guys are leaning too hard. And one of the faculty members, he said, prayed at length about a particular man named Charlie Stoltzfus. That kind of ticked me off, he said. And I thought to myself, if you're going to lean on my head, the least you can do is pray for me. But this guy went on praying and praying for this guy who was about to abandon his wife and his three children. 
He said, I could still hear him calling out, Lord, Lord, don't let that man leave his life, his wife. Don't let that man leave his children. Send an angel to bring him back to his family. Don't let that family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. You know the man, Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives down the road about a mile on that right-hand side in that silver house trailer. And Tony Campolo said, I thought to myself with some degree of exasperation, Buddy, God knows where this guy lives. What do you think God is doing? Sitting up in heaven with a notepad saying, can you give me that address again? I didn't quite get that. But he said, following the chapel talk, which went okay, I got in my car and started heading home, and I was getting on to the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and there was a young man hitchhiking on the side of the road. He said, I picked him up. I know you're not supposed to, but, but I'm a preacher, and anytime you get somebody locked in the car where they have to listen to you, it's worth doing. And he said, we pulled back onto the highway, and I introduced myself. He said, hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's your name? And the guy said, my name's Charlie, Charlie Stolfoots. And Campolo said, I did not say a word. I drove down the turnpike to the next exit, turned around and headed back. And when I did that, the man looked at me and he said, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He he said, why? He said, because you just left your wife and three children. (laughs) And the guy's like, how did you know that? That's right. And Tony said, because God told me about it. And he did believe that God had told him about it because of the man's prayer. He told Charlie, now when we get back to your house, I want you to to go in with your wife and I'm going to come in as well. He said he drove directly to the man's house. He said, how do you know where I live? And again, he said, God God told me where you live. But the guy went in ahead of him and Tony got in. By the time he did, he doesn't know what he said to the man's wife, but they're all sitting there with, with eyes as wide as saucers. And he said, you're going to sit and listen and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you about heaven. And did they listen? For the next hour, he led them both into a personal relationship with Jesus. He walked them out of there into the church where he he worshipped. He walked them down into the baptistry. Now today, Charlie Stolfoots, he's a preacher down, down in the south. But you see, when the Spirit leads you, there's all kinds of surprises in store for us. God will be with you. And he will send his spirit at the right time, in the right place, for the right purpose. And God delights in showing up in the lives of his children. So friends, when when the last thing you can do is pray, pray. Because God works through prayer. Some of you need circumstances changed, and he may do that. Some of you need to be changed, and we all need to be changed. We need to pray like the psalmist, change my heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning and as we pray, friends, if God has placed a burden upon your life through the Holy Spirit, maybe to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never had that experience with somebody has just plucked you up at random off the side of the road and you've had one of those God moments where He just arranged the people to be there at the perfect time, the perfect place. Maybe you've been that person. Maybe you've been the one in the car and God has used you and you can acknowledge, God, you are so wonderful because you're always right in all that you do. You're always good. You're always loving. And I delight in being used by you. And friends, you've got a a story to tell.
And you get out there and share it. Before you come, though, whatever the Lord's placed on your heart, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just bless you for those with your agenda on their hearts. As Bob read from Matthew 28 this morning, they received the command to go and to make disciples, to baptize. And as they went, Father, they've acknowledged your presence with them. And they'll keep on doing that even at the end of the age. Father, I bless you for your witnesses here today, for those that are faithful to recognize that life with you, it's it's not some religious treadmill of do's and don'ts. It's not about how hard we can try, how many services we can attend, how, how holy we can seem. Because we know apart from you, Father, we're in trouble. We need you. We need your forgiveness, and we confess that need. We confess our sinfulness before you, and we confess that we believe you loved us enough that you sent your one and only Son to live a perfect life, to be a perfect sacrifice, to to die for our sins, that he took all the wrong, whether action or attitude, or simply our wrong spirit we had, And they were nailed to the cross at Calvary. Father, we acknowledge that he is the Christ. He is your son and he rose from the dead to share with us a relationship and a resurrection. Father, there's someone here in this room this morning that needs a resurrection of spirit. They need the wind of your spirit breathed into dry bones. And maybe those dry bones have been a religion that they grew up with, but not the relationship you came to give. So, Father, let them live today for real. Father, I just pray for for an authentic response from your children today. And if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, just let it sink in how much you love them, how much you gave for them. Let them step forward to say, I'm not ashamed any longer. And I want to call Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I want to be baptized into him to receive the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Give them courage. And I pray this in Jesus' name.